Welcome back to the iCast. I'm Robbie Klanick, and today I'm joined by Mr. Sable for another episode of Faculty Feature. Mr. Sable, how you doing? Pretty good. How about you? Doing pretty well, you know, staying sane. Yeah, <laughs> That's I hear that. Important. I hear that. Um, so you are a math teacher. Um, did you always have an interest with math, or how did you get into that? Yeah, um, at least into high school. I don't remember, I honestly don't remember too much of a math um, draw before high school. I, I, when I was in grade school, I liked to write a lot. I would do power of the pen and all that. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, but into high school, I really started to be drawn more into math uh, when I was at Ignatius, uh, in part because a lot of the teachers I had and a lot of the cool stuff that I was being introduced to. Um, and by the time I was like a junior in, in uh, high school at Ignatius, I was, I was certain that I wanted to teach math and that I wanted to teach math at Ignatius. So, Cool. Were you always like wanting to go back to Ignatius once you had that idea or did you like teach at some other schools or like how'd you end up at Ignatius? Yeah, well, so I went to Loyola, Maryland, uh, known generally as the best Loyola of the four Loyolas. <laughs> just people, that's how people refer to it usually. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I went to Loyola, Maryland and I started with a math major in, and like a, you like do like a, if you want to be a math teacher, you, in most schools, you major in the content area and then you specialize in education or sometimes it's like a minor in education. And that's what I started as a freshman. But I knew like, you know, the one thing I, I, I've, I've always tried to be like very pragmatic and think, you know, well, this is what I want to do, but you know, it's rare for students to start with a major and stay with it. Right. So mm -hmm. I was always very cognizant of the fact that like, I'll probably want to change. Everybody wants to change. And I definitely might want to do that too, but I just never did. All through all four years of, of college, I, I, was, I was super happy with my major and, and, and still going into teaching. So when I was done with college, I was like, well, I'm ready to teach. I did my student teaching. I've done it all. But if, this, if, if I'm right, like I'm just going to teach now for the next several decades of my life. Mm -hmm. So if I want to do something else, like now is the time to do it. Um, yeah. Because I felt very settled, right? So that's when I went, um, I uh, joined the Jesuit Volunteer Corps for a year, which is a year-long oh, wow. program. Yeah, so I did that in Los Angeles uh, for a year, working at a nonprofit that helped people find jobs. So basically, Jesuit Volunteer Corps, you live in a community in a house with, with a bunch of other people who are doing the same program for the year. You're mostly working at a lot of nonprofits. Some people are teaching, but other people work as like case managers and nonprofits or working at meal programs and that kind of thing. We have, we've had JVs on campus every year for a long time, uh, and it's usually a person that works with the Arupe program. Mm -hmm. um, and they live in a house in Ohio City with about six or seven other volunteers doing similar stuff. But yes, yeah, so I worked at an agency that um, helped find jobs for people who were homeless, people who were just recently released from prison, people who were dealing with substance abuse issues. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah, so I did that for a year, and it was, just, it was a year program, and you're living you know, in community and, and, and going on retreats and... Um, kind of living off of a minimal stipend is kind of the point of it. And then I went back to Baltimore where I went to college and I basically did the same kind of work for another year, even though it wasn't part of a volunteer program, but I worked in another nonprofit doing um, employment resources for people with severe mental illnesses. And then after, so after two full years of that, I was like, all right, this has been good. This isn't really, I'm not great at this. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like I've been useful, but now's the time to actually start teaching. So that's when 
I came back to Cleveland. I got a job for a year at Cleveland Central Catholic High School teaching math and, and actually math and religion, if you can believe it, which I was not totally qualified to do uh, by the diocese or anybody. Um, <laughs> but uh, I taught math and religion there for a year and then the job opened up at Ignatius. So like to answer your first question today, is that something I always wanted to do? I left high school thinking I want to teach math and I want to teach it at Ignatius. You, you know, talking about being pragmatic, I was like, well, teaching math is a very reasonable career aspiration. Teaching math at a specific institution is not that realistic. <laughs> so at some point I'd given up the dream, so to speak, of being like, well, listen, I have to be, I have to be happy with teaching wherever I want to teach. Like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, I, I myself in a position where I'll be disappointed if I don't get to teach at this one place. So by the time the job opened up at Ignatius, I was definitely not dead set on going back to Ignatius anymore. But it opened up and I was like, oh, okay. Well, I wasn't expecting an opening and let's see what happens. And I got the job. So there you go. You have to let go of the dream before it comes back to you, I guess. (laughs) For sure. That's what it sounds like. Um, So had there been other times where your degree in math and like your ability to do math has helped you, you know, outside of just teaching? That's a good question. Um, I think so. I mean, well, so listen, and I say this all the time in class, but you know, the way the interest you have and the stuff you study is definitely going to shape the way you think, period. And I have a major in math, and that means that I think in a very particular way. And I think, mm-hmm. I think analytically, but I think a lot about um, how processes work and you know, you tend to think of a lot of things, and, and this sounds weird, but you tend to think of a lot of things in terms of functions, you know, yeah, like what's, what's in and out here, what is going into this process that created this result, and that you can think about that on a million different levels, right? Um, so, and that, by the way, and that's not, that's not unique to people who think mathematically, the yeah, person yeah. who would have a degree in any sort of humanities type field is going to think about the world in their own specific way. So everything that I do is, is flavored by that experience that I've had, right? Um, moreover, mm-hmm. even within our school, I've been happy and, and interested to work on a lot of um, other things, helping the school look at data, look at numbers, look at modeling everything from enrollment to um, you know, placement numbers and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's not something that I'm a professional at, so to speak. There's, there's more sophisticated mm-hmm. ways of doing that than I know of. But I love taking a crack at those things. You know, I see myself as a person who's really intrigued by just solving problems and like looking at interesting questions and seeing how, um, how we can best figure them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned you did Power of the Pen in uh, high school, right? Or was that grade in, school? Well, in grade school. That was, you know, way In back. grade school. Okay. I didn't know yeah. if they had Power of the Pen in high school. Or did they have it at Ignatius? I don't know. I, I don't, don't think know. that they had it back then. I don't know if some version of it exists now. But... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's existed for a long, long time. It's like, you know, this, because it still exists now, right? I think so. Well, I know yeah. like my sister or something did it for a few years. Yeah, in, yeah. It's, it's like, you know, this exists as for decades. It's been around as this, um, you know, uh, writing tournament, whatever. So, mm-hmm. But you also did uh, like forensics in high school, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in high school, uh, you know, my high school experience was, was dominated outside of the classroom by performing arts, really. For all four years... I did theater, both at Magnificat and at Ignatius. I do always the musicals. I wasn't really involved too much in the straight plays, but I do the musical back then. I think that they still have, I don't know if they still have the exact same 
schedule now, but back then Magnificat would always do a musical in the fall and we'd always do a musical in the spring. Yeah, that's and, still and how it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and my buddies, yeah. I would just do that cycle every year for four hmm. years. Um, and then I do a little bit of community theater in the summer too. Um, so that was a main thing that I was involved in. Again, like my friend group and my, you know, my experience outside the classroom was 100% dominated by that experience, which was great. It was, I mean, it's funny because looking back on it, um, I went to a single sex school but my high school experience was extremely co-ed. Um, <laughs> you know, seriously, you know, after school every day, I was either going to Magnificat or, you know, uh, the whole cast would come together at Ignatius for rehearsals. So almost every day I was having interactions with all kinds of people, whether or not they were at Ignatius. The only real single gender part of it was the classroom experience, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important, too. You know, not every person's experience is going to allow for that, obviously, depending on what you do. But, um, you know, uh, I love my experience in high school, uh, in, inside the classroom and outside the classroom. But it's, you know, I think it's important to try to, try to find ways to, to merge that high school experience with people from other schools, you know. But, but mm-hmm. otherwise, I did do forensics. I did speech and debate for the last two years, for junior and senior year. And I competed in duo and turf. Nice. Uh, Rich Fujimoto was the coach. And, um, and yeah. Cool. It was the only competitive thing. I've ever participated in where I was successful. <laughs> so uh, Fuji hey, has the designation of the only person who's ever coached me um, to compete uh, successfully. So Nice. So what was your favorite um, musical you were in? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, or like maybe a memorable experience from one of them too. Oh, there's so many. Oh, man. Well, I'll tell you what. So, so, okay, well, here's the thing about me and musicals. So I can sing enough to be in a chorus, but I cannot sing enough to actually, you know, have any sort of a lead or even really much of a line sung solo in a song. And I'm fine with that. Um, but so, so Fuji, Mr. Fujimoto, who, you know, uh, is retired now, but is still involved in forensics and a few other things in school. He was so good at really finding the best uh, show and opportunities for the kids that he had, right? So while we were there, you know, some of my classmates were, were extremely talented and many mm-hmm. of them have gone on to act professionally and be very successful, uh, you know, in performing arts. Um, I was not one of those people and a lot of my other friends were not some of those people. However, he found ways to find a show that was gonna fit exactly who he had and uh, to find ways to adapt the kids that he had. So, so as an example of that, um, something that he did to me a few times, and this is the sound, this makes it sound like I'm mad. I'm not at all. Is he took roles that had singing parts <laughs> and he would give me that role, but then I'd give the song to somebody else. <laughs> like we did the, we did the musical guys and dolls and he had me as Arvide Abernathy, who is like the leader of the Salvation Army band in the musical. Okay. Like this old man who would like bang a bass drum. And mm-hmm. he has this song called More I Cannot Wish You. Uh, and he gave me that role, but he gave the song to a friend of mine who sang it as like a lounge song to open up some scene in a, <laughs> in a nightclub. And it was a genius move. Uh, yeah, I the man's a genius, yeah. Yeah. And then the, uh, another year, uh, we did this musical called City of Angels, which was this really cool but really weird film noir musical. We had no business doing it, but it was great. Um, 
and uh, the, my character was in an iron lung, uh, which is this giant contraption that was that it had to be wheeled on and off stage, and he had me like trapped inside this iron lung. So <laughs> I had so I had a lot of really weird roles, uh, which I was happy to do. It fits you. No, <laughs> no thanks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so around school, you are known as, as the Desmos God. Um, so you know, how'd you get involved with Desmos in the way you have? Yeah, so Desmos, uh, for, 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 for the handful of listeners who might not know, uh, Desmos is an online graphing calculator. Um, and so, so Desmos came out in like 2011 or so, and it started really just as an online graphing calculator. But it was one of those tools where as a teacher, you saw it, and th there were other like online or, or, or you know, computer-based graphing calculators that we'd used. But it was one of those tools where you saw it and it was just really well designed and really easy to use and really fit the kind of thing that teachers needed in class, right? So I started using it a lot and, and eventually started kind of connecting with other people, other teachers that I knew that also liked to use it and, and with the company itself. And the company um, continued to do a really good job of developing the product and just kind of continually making it a really well-designed product, a really well-designed uh, tool. And, and also made it clear that they were really interested in supporting uh, students and teachers and education and not just making money. I mean, it literally is a free graphing calculator. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, but they, they continued to develop to the point where um, they started building this, this platform, like a slide-by-slide -slide interactive platform that you can use to teach lessons and, and help students see uh, different concepts. Um, and sort of through that and through their own development, they started this teaching fellowship where you could apply and, and if you were accepted, um, they brought you into their offices in San Francisco and also work in communication all year just talking about like how to use the tool and, and how other teachers um, use it and trying to trade ideas and trade ideas, not just about the calculator, but just about math education. Uh, and then that developed into the point where even now on the side, I do training on it. So with some teachers across the country, I'll go out or, or over the internet, we'll train them on how to use it. And I kind of tell all that story just to kind of talk about a few ideas. One, that like nothing beats a really well-designed tool. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the reasons I really love it is just because it's just so nice to use and easy to use. Yep. I'm yep. sure you can think about like different tools or apps or websites that you've used that are really annoying to use, though maybe you have to use it. And then other ones that you end up using it more because it's so easy to use. Um, and Desmos is a kind of one of those things on the second end, right? Where it's, all, it's very useful for sure, but you want to use it more because it, it, the person who made it clearly had the end user in mind. Um, and I think about that a lot when I am designing a new process or a new lesson or... Um, uh, anything visual or, you know, I work on the eyes website and, and I've, I've helped with this podcast and stuff like that too. I, I think about that all the time about like who would want to use this thing and what can I do to make them want to use it more. Um, so design is something that I've always had sort of a, a hobby type interest mm -hmm. in looking at how um, websites and, and art and um, anything that we use um, is designed and, and how, how it how it got there and, and why the person who made it made it in that way um there's a lot of podcasts i listen to that are very closely geared towards that like 99 percent invisible is a really good example of it 
you know, mm-hmm. all the things that we use every day, how did they become that way and why do we use them? Um, and I think that my work with Desmos has kind of had a lot to do with that, that I really respect their design and I respect how they really care about students and teachers. And because of that, it become, it's a tool that's really awesome to use. And a lot of the relationships I've, relationships I've made with other teachers through that have, have had a lot of, it has had a huge impact on me as a teacher uh, with professional development. So that's been a big part of, of, of what I've done as a teacher. Awesome. Good to know uh, more background about you being a Desmos God. Um, (laughs) So, uh, of course, you're not a teacher all the time. You do things outside of school. So, like, what what are some of the activities you do in your free time? Um, That's a good question. I I do like a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Do you have any recommendations other than I got a bunch? Oh, man. Oh, geez. 99% Visible is a really good one. I really like the uh, Gimlet show Reply All lately. Reply All is really, really good. Um, the, new, the Conan O'Brien podcast I've listened to a lot. I really okay. like that. Um, there's a lot of comedy podcasts I listen to, which those are a little bit more specific. Um, there's one called American Hysteria that I've been listening to lately that like breaks down mm-hmm. like different weird, um, not trends, but things that people have been obsessed with over, mm-hmm. over the years or that people have been freaking out about. Um, there's a lot of podcasts on diversity I've been listening to lately uh, called like code switch or another one called reveal, uh, judge John Hodgman is one that I really like. Uh, it's a kind of a comedy podcast. That's also sort of a, about adjudicating trials between people like a funny judge Judy or <laughs> kind of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Uh, so, and a bunch of other interview type podcasts and, and uh, those kinds of things. So there's, I mean, I probably have like 50 that I subscribe to and some of them I listen to depending on who's on that week or, or whatever. But um, yeah, it takes up a lot of my time, uh, maybe in a bad or a good way. I don't know. But yeah, and then that, that, that interest has kind of led to me helping out with this podcast too that we're on right now. Uh, it wasn't my idea to start it per se. The students came to me and said, you know, Ian Thompson and uh, Luke Vanderwall a few years ago uh, came to me and said, hey, we want to start this thing. And I said, oh, yeah, perfect. Um, and we helped get that off the ground. And, and students have been running it, really. But, you know, I've been managing the feed and, and kind of trying to guide it into a good place. Uh, and that's, uh, that's been a lot of fun to do over the past few years, too. For sure. Um, so other than, like, the podcast, is there anything else? Like, don't you do play an instrument? Or did you used to play an instrument or something? I used to play guitar uh, in high school and a little bit in college. I don't really do that too much anymore. Um, so I don't really do that anymore. I like music. I, 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 I started record collecting the past few years because that sounds like a okay. good old man thing to do. <laughs> um, so I, I have like a very modest but uh, well curated record collection uh, that I've been working on. But yeah, I watch a lot of, uh, you know, I try to watch a lot of good TV, good movies, uh, that kind of stuff. So a lot, a lot of media, a lot of media related uh, hobbies. I like, I like a good game. I'm not a competitive person at all. I, ha- I don't have like a competitive bone in my body. Uh, but I, f- I, have a, I have a working theory that everyone in the world is either, um, is either motivated by competition or problem solving. Um, so I'm, I'm more of the latter guy. Like if something, if I'm in the middle of a, of a, a competition or like a game, uh, I, can, I can often be very successful depending on what it is. But it's mostly just because I want to figure out if I can 
I can crack this. I, like, what do I have to do to like be successful in this thing? Not so that I can beat the other person, but just so I can like figure it out, you know? So are you um, like a big Pot- fan of Clue? Yeah, Clue's great. Uh, I like playing Clue with one of my kids loves playing Clue. Uh, so me and her, we'll, we'll, we'll take a crack at it often. Um, but like a lot of trivia stuff too, I really like. Okay. Uh, uh, so, but the, that, that dichotomy is perfectly uh, illustrated by Mr. Barker and I. Um, Mr. Barker is the most competitive person in the world. Uh, and I am the least competitive person in the world. Um, but we do a lot of trivia together and, and do some other uh, competitive type things together uh, because we're both motivated by those different things. And it kind of works well uh, often um, uh, in, a, in a sort of pair. Um, so anyways, Barker's a weird dude. Um, uh, wow. <laughs> oh no he's 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 a very strange okay. man uh and, and, but that's okay we're all weird for different reasons um but uh yeah no yeah the most competitive person you'll ever meet in your life is there anything that you wish uh, you knew when you were going into high school or while you were at high school or maybe even going into college that you know you'd want to share with any high schooler i guess that's a good question. I don't, you know, I, I honestly don't feel like I have any regrets about anything that I did. Well, not anything I did in high school. I mean, I, I, I you know, I said and did some weird things, I suppose, from time to time. But like in terms of like stuff I was involved in or opportunities that I had opportunities to take, I don't really regret any of it. Um, uh, just all, mostly because, especially then and still now, I'm obsessed, and I mentioned this before, I'm obsessed with being pragmatic. Uh, and I was constantly asking myself the question, like, what, what choices do I have to make so that I don't regret something in the future, right? Um, and I was also always assuming that whatever I thought and did right now, I'm going to look back on that in a few years and think that I was an idiot. Uh, like, that's always, and still is, like, that's still always my assumption. And that doesn't mean that you can't make good choices now. But you also have to constantly be aware of the fact that like, you don't know anything. You know absolutely nothing. And if you want proof of that, think about what you knew four years ago. And you'll say, like, that person four years ago was an idiot and knew absolutely nothing. You are 100% going to think the same thing about yourself in four years. So you always have to proceed in life being aware of the fact that you don't know anything right now. And that's okay. That's everybody. Um, so, so act and make choices in a way that, that accepts that and um leaves open the possibility that um that uh, the future might demand that you think about your your experiences in a different way you know um so yeah and and, and because of that maybe like i i think that that mindset might um prevent you from making decisions that are like long lasting decisions in an extreme mm-hmm. way you know what i mean yeah um, that might be why i don't have any tattoos uh because i and i have nothing against people who have tattoos at all or or the decision to get a tattoo but like uh uh you know i've always been like am i really gonna want that tattoo in four years and like maybe i would i don't know but like that fear has always been like "Ah, i'm not even gonna worry about it um (laughs) so yeah it's just like extreme pragmatism is always kind of you know the my guiding philosophy so it's fair that's fair um so speaking of like your guiding philosophy has there been anyone who's been like especially influential for you to develop you to where you are today or anyone you continue to look up to 
Yeah, you know, I, I do often look, think about um, uh, Fuj, Mr. Fujimoto, and Art Thomas, who also retired as a teacher a few years ago, but is still seen around campus doing a few subbing and doing circus company and all that. So both of those guys were very involved in theater and performing arts when I was a student. And then when I came back as a teacher, I worked with them a lot because when I came back as a teacher for several years, I was the tech director for the stage crew too. So that was a big part of my time um, as a teacher. And working with those two guys as teachers has been really uh, useful, I think, uh, and, and important for me. Um, just because I was able, these are people that I worked with really closely as a student. And then I was able to see the other side of it and think about like, oh yeah, like those things, those decisions and the way that they worked with students that I saw on the student end, I see now why they're doing it or how they do it or how they talk about those experiences when there's only adults around. Um, and so I think that, yeah, the way that they, um, I, I've learned a lot from them. Uh, and honestly, to some extent, especially Mr. Thomas, who I worked a lot with um, just uh, through the Brain Center and stuff like that. You know, they, they've had a lot to do with teaching me how, how to do my job in a better way and how to work with students in a better way, I think. Um, so, yeah, those, those are two guys that have had a big, big impact. Sure, yeah. Mr. Fujimoto, a legend. You can't really ah, he's the best. <laughs> dispute that. He really is. And what I said before is the truth. And this is something that I've thought about a lot. You know, he, um, he was so good at just looking at the situation in front of him, looking at the students he had to work with, looking at um, whatever the details and the parameters of the situation are, and like picking the thing that is going to make that group the most successful. You know, um, the one example I can think about the best with that is, you know, he had, like I said, there was my year. Um, there were a lot of really, really talented performing artists in my year and the year older than me, especially. And not that the students younger than me weren't, they were, but you know, there was a really, really strong bubble. And, um, and he knew that and he, he picked shows that really made that group shine. So the year after he graduated, um, he, you know, it was that bubble had sort of passed. There were still a lot of talented kids, but um, the show, but the show that he picked for that year, I think he did Godspell the next year. And because he picked that show, which was really well suited towards the students that he had, the show they ended up putting on was probably better than any of the shows that they did when I was a student there. And again, mostly because he was able to really just pick, pick the, the perfect show for, for the kids that he had in front of him. And, and I think there's a lot to be, to learn from that, that it's not about the hand you're dealt, but how you, how you, how you figure it out and how you, you know, gear your, your strategy towards what you have in front of you. Yeah, for which sure. might be a good lesson too, for what the, you know, the quarantine, which is a really hard thing for, for everyone to deal with. I was just but, about to know, ask. Yeah. You know, what can you do right now mm -hmm. that, that can make the most of it? And honestly, Robbie, like you're, you're a perfect example of that, right? I mean, you, um, you have been, you know, putting out tons of these, tons of episodes of the podcast. And they've been really good. Uh, and I think that they've been really helping, you know, everybody um, deal with their situation at home a little bit better too. And this is the perfect situation for, for producing a lot more episodes like this. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's actually a really good example. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but yeah, other than producing podcasts, do you have any other tips for being sane during quarantine? Got to keep, keep a routine, man. Keep a routine. The, the hardest days are the ones where you realize it's like, I'm not doing anything or I have, mm -hmm. I slept in too late or I stayed up too late or whatever it is. 
you got to keep routine. You got to get outside for a little bit every day. Um, uh, there was something I was reading last night, uh, some article about like, you know, insomnia and, you know, COVID related anxiety. Um, and had a lot of good, a lot of, had a lot of good tips. One of the things that said is that like reserve like a one, one little pocket of your day for all COVID related anxieties. Like it's not <laughs> that you shouldn't think about this stuff at all, but like, uh, structure it so that it's like, okay, this time, you know, at, at, at 3 PM, this is when I'm going to read a few articles about what's going on right now and stress out about this a little bit. Uh, and like, think about the thing that I've been dwelling on and that I'm not certain about. Um, and it, there's a time for it. I can stress on it, but that way, like earlier in the day, if something pops up, that's like going to like debilitate you <laughs> think about like, <laughs> why should I do this? I don't even know how this is going to turn out, which is not which I thought everybody's going to happen. You can say to yourself, I'm going to think about that at three o'clock. Uh, and I'm just not going <laughs> to think about that right now. I'm not going to put it away forever. I'm just not going to think about it right now. And it's kind of a good tip, you know? Um, so structure is the key, I think. But anyways. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, it was a yep. pleasure to talk with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, stay safe, stay sane, and go Cats. Same to you.